Got a question for you guys today. Imagine for a moment that you're an Olympic athlete. You have trained for years and years and years to compete on the international stage, and you have made it all the way to the Olympics. You have made it all the way to the finals in your event, and the final heat in which you are to run is going to be held on a Sunday. Do you run if you are a child of God through Christ? Do you say, I can't run? It's a Sabbath. Or do you say, oh, run, what's the big deal? It's a Sabbath. I want you to think about that as we look at our text today. And we'll close with an answer to that question. But as you think about it, I want you to process, are you more like a Pharisee or a Herodian in your answer? What do I mean? Read Mark 2, 2, 23 through 3, 6. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now that chapter break there, you see the big number three? The Holy Spirit didn't put it there, so we're going to keep reading. Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What's going on here? Starts out with lawkeeper issues. We find Jesus out on the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples got hungry. We know that from the parallel accounts. And Jesus said, grab some grain and eat it. Pharisees said, you broke the law. I have a question for you. Did he? Good answer. We know that because Jesus never broke the law. So what are the Pharisees talking about? Why would they accuse him of breaking the law? We'll put it in context. There was not an infrastructure system like we have where people got on roads where they were going. You you didn't give directions like get on 401, turn right on Backton Hill, turn left on I don't know what other road. There weren't roads like that. You walked. There were main thoroughfares, highways. We ran into one when Jesus called Levi, remember? But what people would do is they'd walk through fields, other farmers' fields. And the Lord made a provision that when you were walking through another person's field, if you were hungry on a journey, you could take from their food and eat it. So imagine we think, well, if you're walking by an apple orchard and you go in and grab some apples, you just stole, right? Everybody's looking, you all done that? But if you look at Deuteronomy 23, 25, you don't have to turn there. You're more than welcome to. But the Lord says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. What he means is if you're hungry, grab an ear of corn, but don't go harvesting the whole field and loading up your truck. 
So Jesus is walking with his disciples. They got hungry and they ate. God gave the provision in Deuteronomy. The question, though, becomes, can you do that on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees say, no, you broke the law. Where did they get that law from? Here's the next question. What specifically does Scripture say you cannot do on the Sabbath? Work? Anyone want to add to that? No. It's frustratingly simple. In Genesis, God rested on the seventh day, correct? When you get to Exodus, the Lord gives a commandment, you shall keep the Sabbath, yes? And the rule for the Sabbath from Scripture is, you shall not work. Well, this drove the Pharisees mad. Because the Pharisees want to know, well, what, what, what does that mean? I want rules, rules, rules. Pharisees were legalists. And legalists thrive by rules of do's and don'ts. So, don't work. No, 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 no. It's frustrating. Well, what do you mean by work? Do you mean like, don't go to your, to your office? Can you work from home? Does it mean like you can't go out to a store? Can you buy a pizza? Can, can you cook? Can you, can you turn on a light? Can you light a candle? Could you, could you walk? And, ah, that's what the Pharisees said. They all made that noise. So what they did was they made rules. They made crazy rules. In Scripture, you read of a Sabbath day walk. You ever come across that? It's not a biblical command. It's a Pharisaical law. On the Sabbath, they determined you could walk 1,999 steps. When you got to step 2,000, you were a Sabbath breaker. Do you know that? Now, notice this. Jesus is walking in the grain fields, and he's being stalked. A little bit freaky there. Well, it's almost certain he walked more than 1,999 steps, because I got a Fitbit, and that sucker clicks 2,000 pretty quick. And the Pharisees are stalking him, and they're breaking their own rules to do this, almost certainly. But they said, you can't walk more than 1,999 steps. Another rule, you can't carry anything heavier than a dried fig on the Sabbath. Which meant women couldn't wear jewelry on the Sabbath. You know why? It weighed more than a dry fig. They had rules that you couldn't bathe on the Sabbath, because if you bathed, then water fell off of your body to the floor. That's considered washing the floor, and that's work. This is all in the Talmud. There are 20-plus chapters of Sabbath restrictions from, from the, the Pharisees. Now... There are certain passages in Scripture which deal in a seeming little, in, in more detail seemingly with what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. I'll say them, you can write them, or you can re-listen and look at them, and I'll explain what's going on here. You have in Exodus 16, 22 to 30, Exodus 34, 21, Exodus 35, 2 through 3, Numbers 15, 32 through 36. You can go to Nehemiah 10, 31, or 13, 15 through 22. In Jeremiah 17, 21, and 22. And what you'll see there in those passages is a little bit more detail, but it's frustrating to the Pharisees because they're simply illustrations, but they don't add up to a comprehensive definition of work. So the Pharisees, as legalists who want the do's and the don'ts, made up their own do's and the don'ts, which they piled on top of the Sabbath. Well, one of those rules was... You could not pluck grain on the Sabbath. And you not only that, you couldn't grind it in your hands and eat it because then you're threshing and you're harvesting on the Sabbath. And they saw what Jesus did and they said, you're a lawbreaker. Think of how outrageously ridiculous that is. God is trampling through the fields and they say to God, 
You're breaking the law. So Jesus says to them in verse 25, I love this. There are so many reasons I'm excited to meet the Lord, but I really want to get to know his sense of humor. You think, well, is that heretical? No. Look at what he, you read scripture and don't read the wrong tone of voice into this. He says in verse 29, he says to them, have you never read what David did? Now think of who he's talking to. The Pharisees, have you never read? They've read it hundreds, if not thousands of times. He's talking about 1 Samuel 21. It wasn't called 1 Samuel 21, it was called Samuel. They didn't have the chapter breaks. Haven't you ever read about David when he went to Nob? That's insulting. It's like walking up to a a college-level professor. Have you never learned the alphabet? This is the basics. He says, have you never read? Just like... He says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread in the presence. Do you know what happened there? 1 Samuel 21, Jesus is on the run. Jesus is on the run. No, he's not. David is on the run. He's got his men with him. And they're starving, literally starving. Not like in my house when the male figures cry out, we're starving, we haven't eaten in an hour. They're literally starving. They need food. And they come to Nob, the city of the priests, tabernacle, and they come up to the priest and... Jesus, why do I keep doing that? David says, what do you have to eat? He says, I have nothing to eat, but we have the showbread, the bread of the presence. Now, when you read in Leviticus how the bread is to be handled, it was only for the priest to eat. Well, the priest gave the bread to David and his men. There were six loaves. There were 12 loaves stacked in piles of six, two piles was cooked and put in front of the the Lord's area on the Sabbath and replaced the next Sabbath. Leviticus 24, 5-9 deals with how to manage and care for the showbread. And they gave it to David to eat with his men. And Jesus says, haven't you read about this? Abiathar the high priest, and and he ate the bread in the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him, speaking of David. And Jesus' point is, and let's just break the, the, the word of God to accommodate. But Jesus, what he says next, watch this. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is, I said in 1 Samuel 21 that David could eat that bread. And if you think for a minute your man-made rules about eating grain out of the grain field are going to carry the day, you don't know who I am. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. He doesn't say, I have a word from God for you about the Sabbath. He says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I made it back in Genesis. I established it and I'll set the rules for it. Tracking with me here? Well, the Pharisees were losing their mind. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That means the Sabbath is a gift from God to his people. It's not a burden to be placed on the people of God by God. It is a day to rest, to recuperate, and to worship the Lord. It is not something in the flesh we like because we're all closet legalists and we got things to do. God doesn't know what we need. We know. God says, stop working, rest. That's the most basic level of the Sabbath. Stop working and rest. And we say, well, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. I got things to do. Well, the Pharisees said, make sure you don't work and hear all the rules. And they loved the Sabbath. You know why? Because it was a day their self-righteous pride was on show. Look at me! 
I don't need a, a, a tithe envelope. I need a trumpet blast. Watch what I'm doing on the Sabbath. Watch me pray on the Sabbath. I've been in church three times today, and I'm coming back two more. I may never go home on the Sabbath. They love the Sabbath. I didn't carry anything heavier than a fig. I only walked 1,997 steps, and I won't walk three steps more. I'm so holy. Look at me, look at me, look at me. This is how the Pharisees functioned. And they took this day that was a burden, or that was a gift, and turned it into a horrible, horrible burden. And when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking to the people who struggled under the legalistic burden of the Pharisees. And it made them crazy. Chapter 3. Watch this. There was a word used in seminary called a pericope. I remember, I remember the kid's name. Um, he used this word in class. It's, Professor Carson, what about this pericope? It was a class of probably 120 people. And I'm in the back row where I hung out. Yes? What's a pericope? And he looks at me and he says to the rest of the class, would anyone else who hasn't asked like to define that word? It's a section of text. This pericope starts in 2.23 and it finishes in 3.6. So now you've got a new word. It's an English word, not even Greek. You can use that pericope. Tell somebody, I was reading the, the newspaper and I noticed this pericope. Would you read this with me? This keeps going here. This, this break is, is not a natural break. Watch. Perhaps the same Sabbath. Might be a different one, but I suspect it's the same. So he's out walking in the grain field. They're hungry. They ate the grain. The Pharisees are like, lawbreaker. Jesus says, ain't you ever read your Bible? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And they show up at synagogue. And you can imagine there's a little bit of tension in the house, right? He says, he enters into the synagogue and there's a man there with a withered hand. And they watch Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What's wrong with healing on the Sabbath? It was against their law. Watch this. If someone was going to die on the Sabbath, you could give them medical attention. That's in the Talmud. You could read it. But if someone had something like a sore throat, you were not to give medicine until the next day because it was not a life-threatening ailment. So you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. So they're watching Jesus. This guy does not have a life-threatening ailment. Is he going to break the Sabbath? Now, could Jesus have healed him the day before? Could he have healed him the day after? Could he have prevented him from ever having a withered hand? Now watch this. So why is he healing him on the Sabbath? Because he came to show what it means that he is Lord of the Sabbath and what the intent of the Sabbath is. Tradition has it that this guy was a stonemason. His hand got crushed and withered and became a beggar because you got no hand, you can't work. There aren't many vocations back in that time where you could use one hand. So he says to the man with a withered hand, Come, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And you see how they answer? They can't. There's no, I love when Jesus does that. He puts out a question and you can't do anything with it. There's no answer because they're either going to affirm that what Jesus is doing is okay or they're going to have to admit that what they're doing is sinful. So what do they do? Nothing. So he says, they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. Notice this. Don't let this go by too quickly. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Anger and grief. What was Jesus angry about? Their hardness of heart. We have human responsibility. It's a real thing. 
And it angers God when we sin. And the unbeliever who sins before God, the wrath of God is upon them because they have real responsibility. At the same time, the Lord grieves sinning of people. It's not a sinful anger he has. It's a holy, righteous anger. It causes grief. But he will pour his wrath out because he is just. So he's angry and he's grieved at their hardness of heart. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now, did Jesus do work? What did he do? We don't know. He just said, guy, stick out your hand, the hand's healed. Now, the Pharisees have no box for this. Well, wait, wait. They've never seen someone like this. There are no laws for what you do with a healer like this, are there? So what they did is they lost their minds. It says it right there. They lost their minds. Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately had count, held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Who are the Herodians? It's kind of like this. What's that? You're right. They're tied in with the Romans. The Pharisees are the, the law keepers, the Jewish legalists, the do's and the don'ts. They know the scripture. They got the tassels. They got the long robes. They got the prayer shawls. They got their Sabbath rules and regulations. And the Herodians are the secular humanists. Everyone do what is right in their own heart. Whatever is pleasing to them. If it feels good, do it. They were the Roman tie-ins. They were hated by the Pharisees. So the Herodians on the Sabbath, rather than keeping the rules, made up their own rules. Oh, who needs to go to church on the Sabbath? Do what's right in your own eyes. Right? What do they have in common? They both hated Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came and destroyed their works-based system. For the Pharisees, it was a scorecard. Check, 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 check. Look how good I am. For the Herodians, they made their own check card, and then they could check, 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 check based on whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, they're the people who would say, well, when I die, I'll go to heaven because I tried my best, and I'm a good person, and God loves good people. We have Herodians all over the place today. And we got Pharisees. Oh, I go to church all the time. I never miss. I give all, I give an exact percentage of money away. I do the rules. I keep it right. And, and some of them hang on churches, and they have a miserable Sabbath. Some of them have the Sabbath where they run around and like, oh, it's Sunday, it's the fun day. And they just run around and do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And they just live like the world. And then the sad group is the ones who wake up on Sabbath and they go, oh, Sunday, suits, brown's gone. I think of all my Jewish friends growing up. It's, uh, Sabbath was Friday night, Saturday night. They would watch this sun. You could talk to them. They're like, oh, I got, I got two minutes, and then I got to get off the phone. You think I'm kidding. This is how it worked. I got two minutes, and I got, uh, my dad says I got to go. Click. And then it's like, oh, they're in, they're in semi-hell for 23. It's like a countdown clock. When, when can we smile and laugh and have fun again? Can't turn on the TV. You have certain lights on. You just kind of sit there. You, you, go to, you go to temple, and you, know, you, you just sit there, and you know, it's all in Hebrew, and nobody knows what they're talking about. And the cantor's singing in Hebrew, and you're like, oh, my gosh, when can we get on with the day? And sun comes down on Saturday. And, Woo! That's miserable. Well, Jesus came to both these parties. And he destroyed what they had established. He says to the Herodians, you know what? You're dead wrong. You're worshiping a false god. You're not good enough. You're going to go to hell by how you're living. They don't like that. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They say, how intolerant. He says, no, how true. 
The Pharisees are like, yeah, you tell them. He says, but to you, you prideful, arrogant, self-righteous fools. You think that you're right with me by your good works? Your works are nothing but filthy rags. Who do you think you are? They say to Jesus. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So they hate him too. So these two groups, they get together and they plot how to kill him. They both destroyed the Sabbath. And Jesus came to fix it. What do you do with all this? That's for you to figure out, as far as I can take you. First, realize, in the flesh, we are all Pharisees or Herodians. Every last one of us, even as children of God. You are a Pharisee or you are a Herodian. You can't get around it in the flesh. And if you forget the gospel or fail to be nourished by the gospel, you will default to one of those two. So the first thing you need to realize is what the gospel is and to meditate on the fullness of the gospel. It is you are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that you cannot boast. You needed to be saved because by your works you would die and go to hell and face the wrath of God. But by God's grace alone, you are forgiven totally. Do you see that? What did you have to offer God? Your sin. What did he have to offer you? Everything. Why would he take your sin and give you his righteousness? You cannot wrap your mind around that. And if he loves you that much, how perfectly will he care for you as a child of God? So he says, repent of your sin and trust in me. Thus you may live. They may have fullness of life. Now watch. This means you don't have to prove yourself. You can rest in the finished work of Christ. You can find your identity in Christ. You can find approval in Christ. You can find purpose in Christ. You can find joy in Christ. You can find satisfaction in Christ. And nowhere else will you find those things. So when you look at the world running around, acquiring and buying and chasing and and laughing, they're chasing something that will not ever be found. They're all miserable bones on the inside, perishing. We in Christ have everything we need. You need to be reminded of that day by day. If you don't, there are symptoms. What are the symptoms of forgetting that? Have you ever been unrighteously angry at other people? Nobody here? Do you know where that comes from? Either your pharisaical or your Herodian flesh. Because when, you, when you're meditating on the gospel, when you're feasting at the table of the gospel, when you're being nourished by the living bread and filled with the living water, you cannot be angry at other people when you put it in perspective. Well, they cut me off in traffic. Well, you spat in my face and wish me dead, says the Lord Jesus. Is it really such a big deal? Well, it was bigger than that. They burned my house down. Well, you made me die. You see the, the perspective? Yeah, you forget the gospel. How about this? Do you ever feel superior to people? I am so much smarter and better looking and stronger and faster than you. You ever feel that way? It's pride. It is pride. You need to find your worth in something if it's not Christ. You ever feel inferior to people? Why are they so much better at that than me? Why do they look so much prettier than me? Why do they have so much more stuff than me? Why do they make more money than me? Woe is me. It's reverse pride. You're finding your worth by comparison. You're forgetting the gospel. You ever been mad at God? Why would you allow something like this to happen to me? I think you just forgot the gospel, did you not? You ever been scared of God? 
You, you ever feel you deserve something because you're a good person? This is the flesh of the Pharisees and the Herodians, my friends. And the first thing we need to do is remember the gospel, remember what it means, and then realize what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath is a gift from God, and there are two levels of the Sabbath. The first is don't work. Why? Because physically you need rest. But on the second level, Jesus not only is Lord of the Sabbath, but he is our Sabbath rest. Read Hebrews 3 and 4. What does that mean? The ultimate work that all people do apart from Christ is to try to prove themselves and find meaning and worth. And Jesus says, I have done that. You can rest from your work. You can rest from your legalism. You can rest from trying to prove yourself. It's not about rule keeping and it's not about doing what you want. It's about what I have done, says the Lord Jesus. And when you find your identity in him and know your faith is secure in him and by his work you are saved, by his blood you are cleansed, then you can rest from your work. Then you read Galatians 1.10. Do I seek the approval of man or of God? Paul says, if I seek the approval of man, I am not a servant of Christ. You know what he's saying? I don't care what you all think about me. Why? He wasn't wasn't emotionally distant from people. He knew that God was well pleased with him in Christ Jesus. So here you can say, Paul, you're an ugly, stupid idiot. He's like, that's fine. It's not what God thinks. I'm okay with that. Doesn't mean his feelings couldn't get hurt. But when you look around, my friends, how often do we try, crave for the world to look at us and say, Oh, I'm so proud of you. I wish I could be like you. How many adults, as they enter in to to the, the end of their life even, are just falling apart inside because their mom or their dad never said, I'm so proud of you. Well, the Lord Jesus came, and through him the Father says, I love you completely. What you wanted to hear from your parents is what you get through Jesus. Do you see that? And the reason you want to hear it from your parents is because God made you to hear it from him. Why do kids go through schooling and elementary schooling and middle schooling and high schooling and college so desperately wanting to fit in to the group? You know why? Because we're made to fit in. We're made to be accepted. But the group isn't it. It's the kingdom of God that you desperately need. Do you see that? I remember high school, the cool kids. They show up at the reunions all the time and they still look like the cool kids just so many years ago. It's all the nerds you should have been friends with because they're running businesses all over the world. If I could rewind, I know who my best friends would be. But ultimately, what happened is that group, oh, never satisfied. But with Jesus, there's ultimate satisfaction. That's the gospel. So we either try to keep the rules to prove our worth, or we make up our own rules seeking to pursue them to find worth. And Jesus says, stop. The Sabbath is a day of rest from your work, and it's a day to rejoice in the Lord. So when you come to the Sabbath today, you think, do I have to go to church? I know none of you would ever think that, but you know other people who don't get to come here. Do I have to go to church? You've missed the whole point. What can I do after church? Can I go? Stop. Jesus says, stop. The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is not wrong to have do's and don'ts, but there has to be a motivation behind the do and the don't. The two extremes are the I can't do anything or I can do whatever I want. Now tie this in. We're back where we started, and you're running in the Olympics. 
and you've made it to the finals. And Sunday is the day of the finals and you are a child of God through Christ. And what do you do? Do you run or do you not run? And what's interesting is this happened to someone. His name was Eric Liddell. Have you ever heard the name? It's a movie called Chariots of Fire. There are biographies that are far better helping you understand why Liddell did what he did. He came to a race. He was running for the medal, but the race came down to a Sunday, and he was torn. What do I do? It's the Sabbath. Do you know what Liddell did? He did not run. But do you know why he didn't run? He ran for a different reason than most people. Everybody else in that race, the other however many, nine lanes, they ran to prove themselves. They had to win the race to find their value. Lydell said, I don't have to run to find my value. I have my value in Christ. And I run not for my glory, but for his. And on Lord's day, I will rest rather than run because it brings glory to God and allows me to reflect on what I have in Christ. Do you see the different mindset? It's not a can I or a can't I. It's what would be most pleasing to God and what would remind not just me of the gospel, but show the gospel to others. Now, do you know who won that race he was to run in? Nobody knows. But the Lord knows what Lydell did. And his story continues to be told simply because he chose not to run. Could he have run? Sure. Couldn't have lost his salvation. But what would he have gained by running? What was gained by him not running? Here's what I want you to take from this. The danger we run into in a busy, hectic world in which we live is to fail to come and feast daily at the table of God. To be re-evangelized, to spend time in his word, to gather in fellowship even throughout the week, to encourage one another, to press one another on to good works that God has prepared for us. And we fall back into the waves of the flesh, and we fall into our pharisaical or Herodian tendencies. We must feast deeply on the bread of life. We must drink deeply of the living water so we can find our identity in Christ alone. Lydell didn't run to find purpose and acceptance and accolades and glory. He ran to bring glory to God. And Lydell decided not to run because he felt it would be greater greater glory to God. And as Christians, my friends, here's what I want you to get out of this. You do not have to prove yourself to anyone. You do not have to try to impress others because you need to remember who you are in Christ. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. When we go out and live out our mission as believers, the world will not applaud us. Thanks for sharing the gospel. It doesn't happen. They will hate us. They will persecute us. They will laugh at us. They will mock us. And if we find our identity and acceptance from the world, we will shut up. But if we see our identity in Christ, and we know what the message of salvation is, and what we are charged with before the Lord... We will rejoice knowing that as we walk in obedience, the Lord will say to us, with you I am well pleased, and the angels in heaven, we can get our accolades from the Father, or a fleeting, unfulfilling, cheap substitute in this world. Now let us never look with envy and jealousy on the lost. Let us look with fullness upon the truth of who our Lord is. Now we're going to take 
communion as a church family today. And as we do, let us be reminded as we're nourished and strengthened through the sacrament of what the Sabbath really is all about. What it means not just to rest physically on the Sabbath as a gift from God, but to rest fully in the finished work of Christ day by day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how clear your word is. We thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, that through your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you guide us and you show us not just the way to eternal life, but how to walk in fullness of life. Lord, in reality, we have all made various messes of not just your Sabbath, but all days. And we pray your forgiveness. We rejoice in knowing that through you we are forgiven. And we pray, Lord, that we may carry ourselves in a manner pleasing to you, in a manner worthy of the calling entrusted to us. And on this Lord's Day, we pray, Jesus, that we would rest well. That we would rest well in knowing who we are in you, that we could rest from our work and not be so busy, but we could also rest in trying to prove ourselves because you have done all the work that needed to be done. Lord, as we come and take communion, we just praise you and thank you. We also grieve over the fact that even as forgiven sinners, we still struggle with sin. Please nourish us and strengthen us as you remind us that by your body nailed to that cross, the wrath was removed from us. By your blood, we are cleansed. And Lord Jesus, as we celebrate, we don't celebrate a Savior who is dead, but one who is risen and one with whom we too will rise one day and spend eternity in perfect, perpetual Sabbath rest. It is in your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.